Welcome to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into the before and after some of the world's most effective transformation processes. I'm your host, Paul French. In this special episode of Transform It Forward, we're gonna try something a little different. So far in this series, we've heard from experts from a wide variety of industries, including events, technology, and real estate. Now with so many episodes under our belt, some key themes are starting to emerge. So it's time to take a step back and connect the dots. For the next few episodes in the series, I'll be taking a look back at some key clips from past interviews that share common elements or discuss similar industries. First up, we're taking a look at the transportation industry and how it's evolved in the recent years thanks to new and innovative technology. Each of these interviews taught me something new about the industry, how it's changed and where it's headed. Let's review some of the key takeaways and common threads from each. A few months ago, I had the chance to sit down with Jason Gross, the vice president of mobile at Curb, a company that's taking a driver-first approach to ride hailing. During our chat, Jason explained how the company is providing unparalleled transparency to riders and drivers and facilitating billions of dollars in payment transactions annually. Jason gave us an overview of the evolution of the taxi and ride-sharing industry, explaining how technology has changed the game completely. As with many other industries, the technology used in the transportation industry has come a long way in just a few short decades. It started with radio calls, right? So there were people with little CBs in their car and they would be having dispatcher, you know, crackle over that. They'd hold the little device up to their mouth, click the button and talk back like you see in old movies. And it really was very manual, you know, beyond that. The use of technology was very limited. So you really had this idea of a dispatcher may not know where a vehicle is. They're getting a call in. They may know where someone is habitually or write it down on a piece of paper or give someone a paper shift log. And it was really kind of hand-to-hand combat, you know, as it were, in terms of fulfilling rides. It used to be, if you remember, I'm old enough to do so, when you wanted to pay with a credit card, someone had a, what they called the knuckle buster, right? And they had to put a piece of carbon paper on over the card, slide it back and forth. And in terms of fraud, they would look up a book and they, you know, thousands upon thousands of numbers, and they'd have to find if the number was on the blacklist. And then when all that's done, at the end of the day, they turn in all these receipts to someone who would then go have to process them. And what our company actually did was create one of the first online networks for allowing someone to swipe a credit card in a cab and actually process that in real time. So in some way, there was a real tech forwardness to this. And even with respect to dispatch software, Some of that made great leaps in evolution, but what was missing was this idea of an aggregation of supply. So as you mentioned, I think earlier, you know, you had a a phone number you could call and that phone number belonged to a company and that company might have as few as five vehicles, as as many as 500. But, you know, in these urban areas, it's an enormous amount of, of ground to cover with such a small number of vehicles. And I think what the industry, you know, failed to foresee was that there would be ostensibly other options, right? There would be something that would provide users with an ability to book from a much larger pool of vehicles and actually to track where the vehicle was rather than having to call that phone number back and say, hey, my vehicle's late, when's it gonna be here? Just as new innovations have changed the face of the taxi industry, technology has also contributed a major changing of the guard in the trucking industry. Last year, I sat down with Michael Nalepka, the general manager of Video Protects, J.J. Keller, a company that provides businesses with expertise in safety and regulatory compliance. 
Over the past few decades, the trucking industry has come a long way in terms of technology. But as Michael pointed out, the evolution was rapidly accelerated due to the pandemic. So the technology around uh, vehicles, let's just put it in a broad, broad sense of it. 30 years ago, we were just now, back then, just cracking into it back in the, in the 80s and the, in the 90s. It started with telematics, which was knowing where your truck was all the time. GPS, that was a big deal. Then it went to enterprise transportation software or uh, transportation management software is another term for it. Too, so you know on the back office from end to end, from order to cash, everything that's going on. But that wasn't enough. And fleets wanted to know not only where my trucks are, but who's the driver? What's the load? You know, where have they been? When did they stop? Where did they get fuel? Are they out of route? All of these things that were concerns of the industry for many, many years have been addressed in a number of ways. Out of routing when it comes to geofencing. So, for example, if you have a, a certain route that your trucks run, they call them lanes. So if you have a lane that you're running on a regular basis for a number of trucks, you can actually geofence that route which would give you, you'd know immediately if one of your drivers was out or out and left the freeway and went five miles off another direction. So those type of things, being able to know in real time where your vehicle is, who the driver is, when did they stop, when did the load get delivered, et cetera, all of these things come into play to have a profitable trucking company. So I have to say this. Technology has come so far now today that even a small trucking company of 10 or 15, let's say, Class A trucks, they can almost be, or even better comparatively, to compete against the large, super large fleets because technology has gotten to be so powerful and a lot of it is not expensive anymore, so it levels the playing field. If you're a small trucking company, you can compete against the large carriers today because there's, you know, there's load boards, there is tracking, you know, there is not just tracking shipment, but, you know, where's, where's the vehicle right now? When's it going to arrive? So you would ask some of those questions. Today, any of us get a FedEx delivery or we get something from Amazon. That's kind of the consumer perspective on it. But from the fleet perspective, and they're delivering a full truckload or a partial truckload, that's not necessarily, an, you don't go to Amazon for that. You got to go to the fleet back office and to their portal. And those have become very sophisticated today, even for the small fleets. And uh, technology is driving that forward. It's, it's making it faster, cheaper, better. And there's a lot of robust competition in many of these areas. So if you're a small trucking company, you're getting in the business you're probably at the best time ever to jump in and to be profitable, but you've, you're you going to have to be sharp. You just don't get in a truck and drive. You've got to know technology today, which is really attached at the hip to transportation. Many parallels can be drawn between the taxi industry and the trucking world in terms of technology adoption. Both the sectors have been forced to evolve quickly. They've had to get with the times or risk losing out to the competition. 
More recently, I had the chance to sit down with Toby Russell, co-founder, board director, and strategic advisor at Shift. Shift is a company that's on a mission to simplify the process of buying and selling used cars through its peer-to-peer platform. It allows people to share information about the car they're selling in real time. Toby had a keen awareness of the things that needed to change in the used car space, which helped him and the team understand the transformation they had to set in motion to create a more consumer-friendly industry. The two things that I say that we did that made made a pretty significant transformation. Uh, The first is we've figured out what are the best cars in nature. Like the core problem is that people say, I need a new car. But if you go to buy a brand new car, you're basically going to have a terrible value. And the reason is, even if you win the negotiation, and it blows me away that we still negotiate for cars that they actively price discriminate. And the people who lose that tend to be people who are new at car buying, folks who are not white men and a bunch of badness there. But even if you win that, the second you drive that thing off the lot, you've lost two to $5,000 in value simply by the fact that you took a car from being quote new to used um, by driving it off that lot. And that is a terrible value prop. It's a total trap. So we came to the realization that the place that we could create value and allow people to get great vehicle, but at a reasonable value and price was in the used space. But the problem with used is you're like, am I going to get a lemon? I don't know. I can't, I can't tell whether this car is going to be good or not. Is it going to be like a rental car that was driven tens of thousands of miles? And I'm not sure what's going on, but it seems good and it looks nice, but then it has all kinds of mechanical problems down the road that I can't possibly judge. And so what we began to discover was a car that someone else is driving right now, typically that they bought new, and you end up with like one owner, no accidents, strong options package, but like 10 to 12,000 miles per year is kind of what you'd want. The thing is, those cars are pretty rare in nature because somebody else is driving them. So the first thing we built to enable that was a peer-to-peer exchange. Uh, We would take cars from people to people, and the idea was to cut out the middleman. So that's the supply side, is creating an entire platform which involved the first real-time pricing algorithm where you can get a price online just by entering information about your car. We were were out out ahead on that one. And a real price, not just like a, hey, theoretically, but an actual actual price that you would be paid for the car. What was the first part? And building out an entire system to enable, that was the thing. On the other side, on the buyer side, we call it people who are buying cars. You mentioned being too far ahead of the market. One of the things that we believe people would want to be able to do is touch it, test drive the car. And so we created a novel solution for online shopping to offline purchase. And that was us bringing the car to your home and not having you committed at that point. You could test drive the car. And if you wanted to buy it, we built out a mobile point of sale where you could get financing, warranty, and complete the transaction, transfer all the money, do all the e-contracting right there on an iPad app in your driveway. And that was a first in the industry as well. And so the net of it is better products, better access, created a better experience that was built around the user. As we know, Silicon Valley giants like Uber revolutionized the transportation industry, quite frankly, the world as we know it. Jason offered his perspective on how he believes the company managed to accomplish this, as well as exactly how ride-sharing companies in general have changed the game for good. I don't know if they, they started out thinking that way, but they certainly threw caution to the wind in terms of feeling invulnerable, feeling like they had... Uh, like a lot of disruptors out of second uh, Silicon Valley, they felt like they had the customer on their side. And at the end of the day, they could unleash this force of massive, you know, social media enabled lobbying in effect to cow the regulators and the city administrators. And if the city didn't bow to that 
sort of new way of doing business, they would go to the state. And if it wasn't the state, they would go somewhere else. And so they were very, not just aggressive, but unwilling to stop, right? And by that, I mean that they would keep going, they would find a way, they would threaten to leave, they would leave, they would come back. But it was really a take no prisoners approach to building a business. But I think what ride sharing did was a couple of things. They brought the the base level of quality of service up, right? That it was demanded that drivers and fleets needed to invest further than they had in making sure the customer experience was on par with what they had come to expect. They needed to be able to cooperate. But on top of that, they had this sort of fragmented technology. So they all had these different dispatch systems. Some were from the same vendor, but had been highly customized to the way that individual fleet operated. And so the ability to aggregate them under a single platform and say, hey, there are, you know, 3,000 cabs in the city. They're on five different systems. But when I, as a user, want a taxi, I'm comparing taxi to a rideshare vehicle. And I'm a little less concerned over which particular taxi company it is. But and we'll get to this in a moment. I want a taxi. I want what a taxi represents for, in one way or another. But I want it to get here fast. And so they needed to have a, a platform that integrated across these various technologies and aggregated the supply to create those better ETAs. Uh, you needed a tech company able to invest in the consumer-facing platform, right? What in this case, we call it the app that says, hey, the app has table stakes in terms of functionality and transparency into the location of the vehicle, uh, you know, putting the control in the user's hands. Third, I think... You just needed users to become aware of this option and have it at a competitive price. And so I think a lot of things have aligned. Listen as Michael explains some of the ways in which new technologies have emerged to create a stronger, better, and faster trucking industry. So technology is consistently, on a regular basis, dialing up. You're talking about, let's start with regulatory first. You know, I work for J.J. Keller. We are the largest safety and compliance organization for transportation in North America. And we've been around for 65 years. And everything to do with the regulations around what the driver does, what the fleet does, what, what are your compliance, all your compliance standards for on the road, uh, in the back office for reporting, all of that is the area of specialization for, for JJ Keller. And very fortunately for us, we've had you know, this deep infrastructure in place for so many years. So fleets look to us for us to tell them what, you know, what's the latest and greatest. We have a very high percentage of all of the, it's called the book. There's four of these published books that J.J. Keller puts out on a regular basis that almost every large truck in the country has a copy of that with all the regulations that a driver needs to reference. So we keep up with that constantly and are constantly updating that. We, we are a publishing company in addition to being a, you know, we're, we're more of a technology company today. But on the, in the area of hazmat and safety, yeah, those rules change on a regular basis. So we're in the position of providing that virtually in real time. We talk to and know and have accounts with and customers of all the major fleets big and small, but particularly the large fleets in the country. And us knowing at J.J. Keller what the latest hazmat and safety regulatory compliance issues are is absolutely critical for fleets. So 
you know, they, they're not out of compliance because they're out of compliance. It costs them money. So it's our job to make sure that they are in compliance and, you know, being safe on the road. With the rapid pace of tech evolution, all companies, regardless of their industry, are now expected to specialize in technology and remain on the cutting edge of the changes or risk dying out. Michael illustrated this concept well when he explained the challenge of driver turnover in the trucking industry and why technology became a critical component of retaining quality drivers. Technology was very, very expensive at first. The trailblazers came in and the early adopters and the small fleets really didn't have the uh, resources to, to be there at that level. Well, they threw, like you say, they threw human capital at it, people and processes. But I've seen this transformation, particularly over the last 20 years, where with more and more and more automation that is taking the redundant worst processes out, like for a back office, for example, you, you know, used to be a mountain of paper at a trucking company, right? Delivery tickets, billing, bills of lading, all these different things, right? Shipments. Well, now uh, virtually everything is either scanned or it's electronic. And so it is. it has created really good workflow processes to help to automate which is good. That's why we want. That's why we can get information instantly because virtually everything's automated today. You know, you don't sign for anything when there's a delivery practically anymore. It's all just drop it off. It was dropped off by Amazon, for example. Yeah, they send you a picture. Right. I'll get something on my smartphone telling me there's a delivery and it's right at my front door. I didn't even know it. That's where we're at today. But but how important is that? Is technology to drive that for? For the back office and for profitability and for customer satisfaction, it is top drawer. It is not is it's issue one, the customer's satisfaction. You live or die on that, right? As you can see, if you get bad reviews on Amazon, you can go south pretty quick. But on the driver side, uh, it's still a challenge. The trucking industry still has a massive turnover problem with drivers. There's been a there was a driver shortage for many many years. It's still a challenge today, but I think the biggest issue today in for drivers and for fleets actually is that a driver can come in and walk out the door after three or four months, after a couple of weeks, and go to another trucking company, and it's called the revolving door syndrome or the turnover rate. You would be stunned to know today, and maybe some of the listeners don't don't realize it because people I've spoken with, their minds are blown when I tell them this. But, And I won't say any particular fleet's name, but it's very common knowledge that the major fleets and even a lot of the smaller ones can have up to 100 or 150% turnover of their drivers every year. So let's just take, if I had a thousand trucks, it's not odd to, in today's world that you could have 80 or, or 90 or 100 percent or more of that whole fleet driver fleet turnover every year so think about it you got a thousand trucks you're losing a thousand drivers every year and you're hiring a thousand drivers every year it's it's a revolving door and why is that it is because a lot of it's got to do with technology which is good 
Technology allows trucking companies to offer better incentives. I can drive closer to home so I don't have to go in this route or that route. So you're constantly trying to one-up each other, right? I'll give you a $5,000 bonus if you come over. Or maybe the driver just gets frustrated with the fleet or doesn't like somebody at the fleet. They'll just say, I'm out of here. And they can go, they know they can go get a job tomorrow. So it, the simplicity, I guess, if you're saying it, of actually being able to find another job if you're a good driver, you're a good driver, you can get a job immediately today. So they're in demand, but the turnover's high. So that's the challenge for, for fleets today is to, how do you keep, how do you retain drivers? The retention question. And so, you know, there's a number of methods there to retain them. And that kind of overlaps then into the whole video category where you have uh, this, it's my particular area of expertise as general manager for video protects at JJ Keller is I've been involved in the video technology world for safety systems, shall we say, since 2014. So, you know, I'm coming up on seven or eight years here of, I almost say I'm the only person, there's a lot of folks in this, but, but I would call myself one of the tips of the spear of knowing the value of video technology, how it's used, what it costs, you know, what's the value proposition for fleets uh, versus drivers, etc. So it is a huge plus for fleets. In fact, if a fleet today doesn't have a forward-facing video camera recording system on their large trucks, they are one accident away from a nuclear lawsuit. When it comes to the taxi and ride-sharing industry, Jason believes a little creativity and maybe even some collaboration will be necessary to create an ecosystem that benefits everyone in the future. I think there will become a middle ground scenario, right? I don't know what the future is in terms of vehicle caps and where rideshare heads in the long run and whether, you know, there are robo taxis. Will they be regulated and operated by traditional taxi companies? Will they be the exclusive province of the rideshare companies? I'm not really certain, but I do think that the way I'm seeing trends now, it's not just a recovery from the pandemic, but I do think that taxis, especially in major metros, are in a better position today than they were pre-pandemic. And I think while I wouldn't guarantee they'll displace rideshare, I, I wouldn't go nearly that far. I think the the stasis will be somewhere between, you know, pre-Uber and Lyft and pre-pandemic, right? Which is the markets will rec- the taxi market will recover to above where it was before the pandemic, but perhaps not where it was originally, or not until there's more evolution of of what I call the use cases, right? You know, where do taxis fit into the broader public transit infrastructure situation? You know, a lot of this first mile, last mile type of of opportunities. And it may not be taxis as you think about them. It may be a very regulated taxi-like vehicle, but it's a multi-passenger van that is operated in cooperation with the local transit agency as opposed to the taxi regulator or some combination of the two. But I think there'll be a lot of specialized cases where taxis make more sense, you know, cash payment among them, but they make more sense than a rideshare. And I think it's smart for the rideshare companies to think about where they have more competitive advantage from a sustainable perspective. And 
And I think I see, you know, places where taxi and rideshare work together, right? You know, at the end of the day, the customer needs transportation and we're available in some of these multimodal apps. Um, one of them is called Transit. There are a few others that we're working with, but just allow people to plan their transportation and segment it out between a bus to a bus stop and from the bus stop in a taxi to an office or vice versa. I think in the more sprawling areas, yeah, it is it is difficult or more difficult to cover a very large geographic area with a small number of vehicles. And I think it's where it's important to try to figure out how else do you utilize those vehicles in between those halls of the world who just want to get from point A to point B periodically and say that it's still at the end of the day a vehicle with a driver who can take anything, be it a person, a package, food or whatever, from point A to point B. But I think there'll be a little bit more of a merging of different transportation, sorry, transporting use cases, right? Whatever that is that you're transporting. But the ability to lay in technology and sophisticated routing algorithms and multimodal planning. And, you know, it could be that, again, you take that taxi to the bus stop. It actually goes from there to pick up a package and go in another direction. I think with the advent of technology in the taxi industry as well, you'll see a lot more interesting combinations of use cases for a driver over the course of a day or a week. These conversations serve as an excellent reminder of some of the key ingredients that go into a successful transformation. First, all three of these industries were long overdue for a technology transformation. They didn't put the customer first, using outdated methods that made everything much more cumbersome. Second, each of the industries required its key players to quickly adapt to new technology to avoid extinction. With the example of Uber and the taxi industry, it was clear that legacy companies had to change their ways and make use of the tech that was emerging if they hoped to maintain some stake in the game. And finally, as with any industry disruption, it all comes down to focusing on the needs of the customer. As Toby explains, if you're not solving a problem or fulfilling a real user need, then it's going to be difficult to meet your customers where they are and on their own journey. I think that um, folks talk a lot about the idea of disrupting an industry. And I, I think that I usually steer the folks I advise and the teams that I run to focus in on something that I think is the core of how you do that. And that is, what are the real user needs that you're trying to meet? Because the disruption is about finding those user needs and then coming with a novel technical solution to meet those needs. So it can be the case that you get too far out ahead of consumers, i.e. that you're using a technical solution that's like kind of beyond what people are ready for. But by and large, you'll find that there's like an early adopter group that is interested in that, and then you can grow from that base. I think the danger that one faces is if you're not actually honed in on those consumer needs and you're bringing a novel technical solution that doesn't solve a need, at which point you're like, I'm ahead of the market. And it's like, no, you just, just don't have market fit. From trucks to taxis and everything in between, it's fascinating to think how technology is touching every aspect of our lives today, even though we may not even notice it surrounding us on our daily commute. A big thank you goes out to Jason, Michael, and Toby for sharing your expertise on the show and for offering your perspective on the changing nature of the transportation industry. And special thanks to you, our audience, for consistently listening and supporting the show for the past three seasons. Thanks for listening to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look at some of the world's most effective transformation processes. 
If you like this episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Paul French, and I look forward to being with you next time. Transform It Forward is brought to you by Axwhite, who believes that in order to create the most value for customers, partners, and employees, you need to open everything by securely integrating and moving data across a complex world of old and new technologies.